Hello, and welcome to another edition of ABI Podcast. I'm John Hartgen, ABI's Public Affairs Officer. We hope that you and yours are safe, and we appreciate you listening to today's episode. The guest on today's podcast is someone near and dear within ABI and throughout the bankruptcy bar, former ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano. Sam joined ABI as its Executive Director in May 1991. Prior to that, he served as the Chief Legal Counsel to Senator Charles Grassley and as Staff Director for the Subcommittee on Courts and Administrative Practice of the Senate Judiciary Committee. A proud alumni of Syracuse University, Sam graduated with honors in 1983 from the Syracuse University College of Law, and he also received his BA in journalism, magna cum laude, from Syracuse University in 1977. Included in the Special Bankruptcy Symposium edition of the recent Syracuse Law Review that featured key articles on bankruptcy issues, Sam provided an oral history of his career. In fact, Sam's former boss, Senator Charles Grassley, provided a foreword for this edition. Sam was involved in all major bankruptcy policy changes from 1985 until his retirement from ABI in 2019. But how did he get his start in bankruptcy law? What was Sam's vision? for ABI when he started in 1991, and what are his thoughts on the evolution of the organization? What legislative developments does Sam see on the horizon for Congress? ABI Editor-at-Large Bill Rochelle recently interviewed Sam to discuss these questions and more. With so many great anecdotes and insights, we've split the interview into two parts. This podcast will feature Sam discussing his career arc toward bankruptcy law, the move to Capitol Hill, and his work with Senator Grassley in passing Chapter 12. A future podcast will feature the second part of the conversation with Sam's perspectives on the growth and evolution of ABI, the origins of small business subchapter 5, and what bankruptcy proposals might be considered on the Hill in the near future. Without further ado, here is our podcast host, Bill Rochelle. Go ahead, Bill. Thank you very much, John. It is my great pleasure to be talking for the next few minutes with my mentor, Sam Giordano, a man for whom I have great esteem and Uh, to whom I owe more than I think anyone in my career in bankruptcy, because I had been bankruptcy columnist for Bloomberg News for nine years, and it was a wonderful job, but I was reporting news for hedge funds, investment bankers, not really getting into the technical legal mumbo jumbo. I had an idea for a column, which now appears every day on ABI's website. I went with the idea to Sam and he jumped on it like a job, like a frog on a June bug. And in short order, there I was writing this marvelous article. 
And I don't, can't say it's marvelous for the readers, but believe me, Sam, it's marvelous for me. It is the best job I have ever had in my life because I can use what I know about law to read opinions and write about them. And the best part is I don't have clients. I don't have to appear before the judges who read this material. So Sam, I thank you very much for giving me such a wonderful job. Sam's has written one of the articles in the most remarkable law review about bankruptcy that you will ever read. It is the Syracuse Law Review coming out just about now. And it has a slew of articles, all of them dealing with bankruptcy. One of them, of course, is Sam's article talking about his 35 years in bankruptcy and what he has done with and for the American Bankruptcy Institute. And otherwise, the articles in this law review are written by a who's who in the bankruptcy community. We've got uh, Professor uh, Epstein, David Epstein. We have Judge Michelle Harner, Professors Edward Yanger, Skeel, and Tab. And let's not forget to mention Bob Keach, who had much to do with some of the most recent bankruptcy legislation. These articles are so important that I think everybody in the bankruptcy community needs to get this law review article and really needs to read every one of them uh, in that marvelous piece of work. Now, Sam, let's talk about you and your career in bankruptcy, which I gather goes back at least 35 years. So how is it that somebody stumbles into bankruptcy in such a big way? Where did it start and why? Well, thanks, Bill. Good to be with you again. Um, uh, I can say, by the way, that uh, we have thousands of ABI members who will not start their day uh, before reading Rochelle's Daily Wire. So thank you for your many years of service uh, for uh, ABI. We, we're in your, in your debt for sure. Uh, for me, like a lot of people, I think uh, uh, bankruptcy was uh, kind of accidental. Um, I didn't take, even take bankruptcy uh, as a student uh, in law school at Syracuse. Um, but I did have the occasion to have a real world experience um, with bankruptcy practice when I was working in the New York State Attorney General's office when I was a law student. And we, uh, I worked in consumer protection and um, we had the occasion to investigate and, and later bring an action um, against someone uh, who was uh, defrauding um, some homeowners. It was a home improvement contractor. Uh, we brought an action uh, in state court um, seeking an injunction um, and also seeking restitution, uh, which we were able to obtain. And so our, under the, the uh, office's parents' patriae powers under the then uh, New York state law, we were able to uh, recover um, from uh, the, the defendant who made payments to the office, which we then distributed to those who had been defrauded. Uh, unfortunately, um, he uh, got tired of making the payments, perhaps not surprisingly, and instead filed a chapter seven bankruptcy. And it, you know, the office was like, whoa, what do we do with this? You know, it's bankruptcy, we're not, we're not bankruptcy people. Um, 
so it, that occasioned, um, you know, uh, determining if our debt could be uh, accepted, excused, uh, uh, um, and not subject to the discharge that he would otherwise get in bankruptcy. And of course, this was in the early 1980s, and the bankruptcy law, bankruptcy code was still new, and the uh, exceptions to discharge were, were very limited uh, at the time. Um, and so restitution was not one of them that was an exception uh, to discharge. So in fact, our debt to the state of New York was discharged. And um, I remember wanting to appeal and um, the head of the office, you know, calmed me down and said, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not gonna win this. You know, the law is not on our side. Um, but, I, but it stuck with me and little did I know that years later when I uh, came to work in Washington and had the opportunity to do something about it, uh, that we were able to in fact change the law. And so that in fact, years later, uh, I worked on legislation that made restitution non-dischargeable uh, in bankruptcy. So it didn't, it didn't affect that case. Uh, I still remember, I still remember the case. I remember the guy's name <laughs> very vividly. Um, but so that was the start of it. Sam, I got I got to tell you something. You and I have, have something in common again here about law school, because I don't know why you avoided bankruptcy in law school, but I did because it had a reputation as being a very, very difficult course. So, so I stayed away from it. There you go. Uh, uh, but listen, uh, I'm sorry for the interruption. Let's go on and uh, follow your career to its next steps. So I ended up in Washington. Um, I knew I wanted to go to Washington right from the start. I had worked in Washington before going to law school. Um, and I'd actually worked for a big law firm. And so I, I knew something about the kind of you know rhythm of practice and working for a big firm. So I knew I wanted to be in Washington and, um, and I know I wanted to be uh, practicing in the area of administrative law, which of course is the, is the work um, of administrative agencies in, in, in Washington. And it's a, it's a Washington practice, that's what I wanted. So I ended up working in Washington after the, after the bar exam. Um, uh, and uh, I worked in administrative law. I worked for the Small Business Administration. I worked for a, a department called the Office of Advocacy um, which had uh, an interest in a piece of legislation at the time that was very important to the small business community called the Equal Access to Justice Act. It was a statute that allowed small businesses to recover attorney's fees in litigation with the federal government when the federal government's actions were not substantially justified. So the small business is a prevailing party. They uh, they seek a recovery of their attorney's fees. And this is a statute, which is an exception to the American rule, which allowed the recovery of attorney's fees. So I worked on that uh, legislation, the reauthorization of that law uh, when, I was in, uh, when I was working for SBA. And then it, it happened that the sponsor of the legislation was uh, Senator uh, Charles Grassley. He was Senator from Iowa, who's in his first term. Um, I knew very little about Senator Grassley, except that he was, he was the, the sponsor of this legislation that we were promoting. Um, and so through my work on the bill, I became um, uh, known to the Senator and his staff. Um, and uh, over the course of, you know, a better part of a year uh, working on, uh, on the legislation, um, uh, I, I considered 
you know, whether I might want to uh, go work on the Hill. And, and it happened that the opportunity presented itself when one of the staff attorneys uh, on the Senator's Judiciary Committee staff uh, left to uh, go work at the Reagan White House, actually, uh, that opening occurred. And the then uh, chief counsel asked, would I be interested in, you know, in coming aboard? Now that presented several interesting uh, uh, dilemmas for me. I mean, obviously I was very interested and flattered and excited, um, but obviously this is a political job, right? Um, and at the time I was a very uh, liberal Democrat, <laughs> very liberal Democrat. Um, and Senator Grassley then and now is a very conservative Republican. So how was I going to do that? Um, uh, the job also involved me uh, incidentally writing his speeches. Uh, and, and there, there was no escaping um, <laughs> what Senator's uh, ideology and views of uh, not just legal issues, but all issues um, really had to come, you know, as if I were writing for him. So By I way, had- Sam. Had you ever been to the state of Iowa before then? <laughs> I had actually, I had actually. In my prior life, when I was working for the law firm, uh, it was a large antitrust firm. And uh, during one sort of monumental case, we were involved in discovery and uh, our client was uh, required to produce, uh, do a document production. And it so happened that several of the plants at issue were in the state of Iowa. So I've been to Fort Dodge, Iowa. I've been to Des Moines, Iowa. I've been to Waterloo, Iowa. I, I had been to Iowa. Um, and, and I was from a town in New York, uh, New Hartford, which ironically enough is the very same hometown where Senator Grassley is from in Iowa, New Hartford, Iowa. So we had, we had that in common if we didn't have uh, politics in common. But I will say this, to Senator Grassley's credit, when he interviewed me, and I believe me, believe me, I was not the only candidate uh, you know, for this position, needless to say, um, uh, he did not ask me about politics. It was all about uh, the law and my understanding of administrative law issues and the kinds of things that he wanted to work on. He was very interested in sort of cost benefit analysis of regulations. Um, and and that, was, that was exactly what I was interested in. I wanted to do that sort of uh, nitty gritty administrative law work um, as part of the general deregulation uh, fever at the time. Um, so I thought, okay, well, maybe this won't be a political job after all. And he's just hiring me because he thinks, you know, I might, contribute to the office. So I, I took the job. Um, and, and then uh, sort of as, as it happened over the course of the years, uh, my, my views, my worldviews changed considerably, um, together with a lot of other life changes. Uh, not surprisingly, getting, I got married, I, I bought a home, we started a family. So we had all, all kinds of uh, issues that, you know, can affect one's uh, worldview. And all, all of those occurred Kind of simultaneously with my, you know, experiences on the Hill. Um, but, uh, you know, I, here I was working on the Judiciary Committee and some of my, my icons of my life were, you know, across the table from me, you know, Ted Kennedy, uh, Joe Biden, 
you know, fellow Syracuse uh, alum. And, but they were on the other side. Um, and so that was, that was uh, a bit of a learning uh, curve, but I, it, it, uh, I think it made me a better staffer uh, because I understood uh, where uh, another side uh, could be coming from, where other arguments, you know, could be coming from. And, you know, and that's just good lawyering generally is to be able to understand all sides of the issue. Um, so I, I think it helped me. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not the best judge of that, perhaps. <laughs> I am grateful to the senator. He also wrote a piece. He wrote the forward to the law review issue. And, you know, I'm eternally grateful for uh, the opportunity he gave me, um, you know, a little, you know, uh, country boy from central New York. So I'm, I'm, I'm forever in his, in his debt. And, and I still see him. And Senator Grassley's running for reelection. <laughs> And he'll be 92 when he finishes his term. Um, and I'm still close to him and I'm still close to people, you know, on his staff. And, uh, and it was just, it was just a great experience. And it gave me really a, a tremendous opportunity to get involved in, in bankruptcy policy. And, and we can talk about that. And when did, and when and how did that happen? I presume it was through Senator Grassley's service uh, and uh, on the Judiciary Committee, but when did you get an introduction to bankruptcy legislation? Well, it came early on. Uh, in 1985, I joined, uh, I joined the staff. And you have to go back, you know, uh, um, to try to remember. You got to be old enough to remember, you know, what was going on in the early, you know, 1980s you know, in terms of the economy. Um, events were really overtaking uh, uh, the situation for uh, certainly a farm state senator in his first term. Uh, the agri agriculture was in a bad way. Um, land values and farm values had uh, fallen precipitously. There was an explosion epidemic of farm foreclosures, um, farms that had been in families for generations. Senator Grassley himself uh, has a family farm uh, in, in Northeast Iowa, Butler County. And he would go home to uh, you know, every weekend uh, to work on the family farm and to meet with constituents. And they were telling him from all sides that you know, this was a disaster. Um, and you know, interest rates were double digits. Um, uh, the value of commodities had dropped precipitously. So the, the value of the farm commodities, you know, weren't what they were. There were pressures from the farm home administration. Uh, and it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. And it was a crisis. Um, and so the issue is, okay, well, what, what can we do um, uh, within the jurisdiction of the Judiciary Committee to try to address uh, the situation. And it so happens that the committee, and in fact, the committee that I worked on, the subcommittee, had jurisdiction over the bankruptcy code. And so Senator Grassley directed me to try to find uh, a bankruptcy solution to the crisis that was going on in, in agriculture all throughout, not just the Midwest, but really you know, throughout the country. Sam, what subcommittee is that of the Judiciary Committee? At the time, it was called the Subcommittee on Administrative Practice and Procedure. Remember, I told you it was administrative law was the, the, the meat and potatoes of the, of the position, but bankruptcy was part of the uh, jurisdiction as well. Today, it's called, I think, the Subcommittee on Courts, maybe. Um, I'm not sure what the exact 
title is. They change every so often. But we did have jurisdiction over bankruptcy. And again, there were not many people on the Judiciary Committee uh, among the staff, my colleagues. Nobody had sufficient background in bankruptcy. Um, that just is, was nobody's interest. <laughs> where where so, did you go? What did you do? Well, the good news is that that position really enabled me to call, pick up the phone and call anybody I wanted uh, who could help. And I did. And I knew I needed help. And I called um, a plethora of practicing attorneys, uh, judges, uh, scholars uh, of both law and, as well as agricultural economics about ways we could make the bankruptcy law more accommodating to farmers uh, uh, and creditors for that matter, uh, who were facing these economic problems. And happily, uh, everyone responded. Um, uh, people, some people flew to Washington at their own expense to school me up, uh, not just me, but other members of the Judiciary Committee staff on the kinds of remedies that might be available. Um, there were some historical analogs. There was uh, legislation that Congress passed in the 1930s during another uh, crisis in, in agriculture. Uh, that law was actually called the Fraser-Lemke Act. It was declared unconstitutional, interestingly enough, um, uh, by one of the New Deal uh, 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 courts in the early 1930s. Um, so we had to, we had legal issues uh, to uh, to discern as well. I mean, what how far could we go in terms of uh, undermining uh, people's Fifth Amendment rights to, to property um, and to abrogate uh, various claims that they legitimately had as secured creditors? So there was a lot to learn, and I took a crash course in it uh, with some great teachers, uh, many bankruptcy judges. I mentioned. Uh, uh, the, the two of the judges from North Carolina um, were just stellar. Uh, Tom Small, uh, who would later, you know, work on on the small business uh, uh, law as well, well with me years later. Uh, his colleague Mickey Moore, from also from the Eastern District of North Carolina, I, they were they were just a blessing. Um, there were other judges as well. The judges from uh, Nashville, uh, George Payne and Keith London uh, were just instrumental. Uh, and, and they would not infrequently come to Washington and uh, meet with us and, and really provide a lot of guidance about uh, what was possible uh, in, the, in the bankruptcy system. And what came out of that, Sam? Well, it took a while, uh, a year and a half, um, uh, and what came out of that was Chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12 was a- Whoa, 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 whoa. You said it took a while. Right. In my book, a year and a half <laughs> for a revolution in the law is not anything short of light speed. But I'm sorry. Go yeah, we, ahead. We, we uh, that's where Senator Grassley comes in. <laughs> he had- well, Tell me uh, how. He had how? us put the pedal to the metal. Um, you know, he wanted to get to yes. He wanted to get to an answer. Um, he saw that there were um, possibilities of the federal law working in tandem with uh, state laws that had been enacted at the time that, for example, required mandatory mediation 
before a foreclosure could occur. And so his, and he was a big believer in ADR generally, Senator Grassley. And so his view was if these people are at the table anyway, uh, through the mediation process, why can't we, you know, uh, envelop uh, a, a bankruptcy uh, uh, layer on top of that so that if it doesn't work out, um, bankruptcy is going to be available. And it created a powerful incentive to all of the parties to negotiate um, because they knew that if they didn't reach a reasonable negotiation, that you know, the farm, the farmer could walk across the street uh, from the mediation to the bankruptcy court, file a chapter 12 uh, and, and get the relief that, you know, they could otherwise uh, get the same relief. They were going to write down the, the, the debt down to the fair market value of the collateral. That's all it was worth anyways. That's all anybody was going to get in a foreclosure. And once people understood that uh, and accepted it, um, you know, the rules of the road changed. And I think, again, the, the dynamics of the, of the situation, there was, a, you know, an incredible crisis. We had a bankruptcy judge in Iowa who literally had a heart attack on the job and died. Uh, judge Bill Thinnes, he was the only judge at the time in the Northern District of Iowa. And he was working around the clock uh, on farm foreclosure uh, hearings um, and stay motions. And he literally worked himself to death. I mean, it was it was bad. Um, it, farmers uh, and others who were in distress would call the office every day, and I would get a lot of those calls um, uh, passed up to me. Um, and so I knew uh, there was desperation. Uh, we had situations where uh, farmers committing suicide, uh, farmers driving into town, and you know, with their shotgun. I mean, it was it was a crisis. Tell me, Sam, how did how did the senator and or his staff schmooze this with people on the other side of the aisle? Well, I, you know, I mean, Chapter 12 is a very debtor friendly uh, piece of legislation. Um, so with respect to uh, the, the Democrats on the on the committee, it helped that our, our ranking member, Senator Howell Heflin, uh, was from Alabama, again, a, a major farm state. He had been hearing it, you know, from, from his uh, farmers too. They were growing different crops, obviously, but they were having the same problems that, that folks in the Midwest were having. So he was, he was sympathetic. Our house sponsor was Mike Sinar, uh, as a congressman from uh, Oklahoma. Again, a lot of agriculture in his district. Uh, he was also a lawyer, um, and you know he was he was very aggressive, uh, you know, in, in moving the house, uh, you know, toward a, a solution as well. And so we everybody was motivated to get something done. Um, and I think that you know that really that really helped us get through the process. So we had ups and downs, uh, as you always have in the legislative process. I, I don't want to mislead anybody that it was, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. We had, we had many, you know, many crises uh, that we had to deal with, not the least of which, um, you know, we ended up attaching uh, chapter 12 to the um, uh, national expansion of the U.S. trustee program. Um, because that was just a vehicle that was also in our committee that we had jurisdiction over. And, 
that too was controversial, just as it is today. Um, uh, and at the time, yeah. so, so you let two states well, so, keep sorry. their bankruptcy <laughs> administrators. We had we had two states that were very important to the process. They wanted absolutely no part of of the U.S. trustee program, and they were absolutely adamant, and they were going to kill Chapter Twelve in the cradle, um, you know, unless we exempted them. And so that was. We had to make we had to make the call and we had to get the Justice Department, you know, to stand down, to back off from their, you know, opposition to the idea that they weren't going to get um, a, a, a national uniform law, which which, of course, you know, the bankruptcy code uh, compels. We, we like to think a uniform law uh, so that we had to accept that bit of disuniformity. Um, but you know, we did we, to, to accommodate the senators from Alabama and North Carolina. We we did it, and we had some other issues along the way, uh, you know, as well. We had a problem at the very end with the Reagan administration uh, suggesting that they were going to veto the bill uh, because of its asserted adverse uh, effect on agricultural lending. And ag lending was also in the tank. Uh, at that time, um, uh, the farm credit system was under financial duress, uh, and you know the government was going to end up, you know, picking up the tab uh, for all of the all of the losses. So, you know, the administration, uh, you know, was not terribly keen on this, and yeah. they actually issued a a veto recommendation, which, uh, you know, on Capitol Hill, you know, if you get a veto letter, I mean, you're dead. I mean, it's just not, your, your, your bill's done. Um, and so we got one. And Senator Grassley then, because he was a Republican and it was a Republican administration, it was then up to him. And all of our Democrat friends who were very supportive on the bill, they stepped aside and said, okay, this is your problem. You know, you got to solve it. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're going to go down. And the clock's ticking. Uh, it's 1986. It's an election year. Uh, and an election year, you know, Congress quits early. So we were, you know, we were racing the clock and Senator Grassley had to, had to go right to the director of the Office of Administrative, uh, Administration and Budget, Management and Budget, uh, Jim Miller. And I, I was in the room when he made the conference call and he made the case that, you know, this wasn't going to be any worse for the government than if uh, we went through the foreclosures because, the farm values just weren't there anymore. And no creditor was going to get any more than the liquidation value. Uh, so let's avoid the liquidation. Let's keep the family on the farm. Let's keep them uh, you know, in production. Let's keep paying the seed dealer and the implement dealer and the feed dealer in town who are so important to rural communities. And so we made the case and, and we backed them off and, and they, they withdrew. And as you know, it was kind of a miracle, but um, you know, little did I know, uh, this was my first you know, real experience going all the way around the bases on something. Um, and I, I, I didn't realize how rare that is, um, especially for well, something Sam, right out of the box. If you recall, what was the vote when the bill was reported out of committee? Uh, it got out of committee easily. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was voice vote because again, 
we had all of these sweeteners. Uh, we had the US trustee program, which was important to the administration and the Justice Department. We added 52 or 53 bankruptcy judgeships, which was very appealing uh, to people on uh, both sides of the aisle and both sides of the hill, that there were gonna be these new judges who were gonna be appointed who were gonna help with the backlog of cases. Uh, and uh, you know that number started small, you know, probably in the 30s, and by the time we were done, you know, trying to, you know, essentially accommodate everybody who had to be accommodated, it ended up being more than 50. So this was an attractive package, uh, kind of a grand bargain. Uh, and that's how and that's how it passed. And so we didn't have any issues passing it in the Congress anymore, except for the calendar issues. Uh, and then once we got past the administration, you know, we were we were ready to go to a signing ceremony. Ah, so it went. It went through the floor quickly, I gather. Very, very, very smoothly. I mean, I, again, I mean, there were lots of people who, who you know, who had to help. And, and again, in the Senate, you know, uh, these actions are done uh, late in the session by unanimous consent. And that means any single, uh, any one of the other 99 senators could have said no. And if they said no, we were done. We How did it go in the House? Uh, well, there you can do suspension, uh, suspension calendar, and uh, so it goes faster. The House is much more majoritarian, and you know, again, every virtually every congressional district, certainly every state, has agriculture, um, and and so this was this was had a lot of popular you know appeal. Uh, so suspension calendar in the House, and then ultimately uh, unanimous consent, uh, holding our breath. Uh, in the Senate, and then uh, down the down the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Thank you for listening to the first part of this interview between Bill and Sam. The second half of the conversation will be released soon, so be sure to check the podcast section of ABI's newsroom. There you will find this series and more than 200 other episodes. Thank you again for listening to this edition of ABI Podcast. Stay safe and have a wonderful day.